0: To, to the thrill uh-huh.
1: everyone welcome back to another edition of Hot Take Time Machine running on
0: episode 28 now Ethan how we doing brother good you know i mean great win for the mets last night they're losing right now per usual but i'm just happy that we finally have baseball season here we had a great end to the national championship and march madness in general and we'll get to all that in a bit and most importantly Finally here, Masters week. I mean, how how much better could it possibly get, you know? Stacked, stacked, stacked field oh. for the Masters this week, and I'm so excited to see how it shakes out. And I'm just glad that we're finally playing it in April when it was intended and not in November. Couldn't agree with you more there, brother. It's something about springtime
1: with opening day and the Masters coming around and, and March Madness wrapping up in the same kind of two-week period that Sets a great tone for the rest of the year in the sports world. Uh, so we're going to get to the Masters. Got a long preview for your guys on that one. But, Ethan, let's start with March Madness because tournament wrapped up this past week. We had one shitty Final Four game, yeah. one really great Final Four game. And then, mm-hmm. uh, albeit not super intense, entertaining national championship, but meaningful national championship nonetheless. Uh, Ethan, why don't you yep. just start us out with the Final Four, though, and talk about uh, Baylor and Gonzaga become you know making it to the the final stage.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, like we've been saying for the last few weeks, this is kind of what everybody expected the national championship to be. It's been like, oh, are these two teams going to be on a collision course? To meet the national championship, of course, it ended up playing out that way. I mean, Baylor against Houston, credit to Houston. You know, they were able to make it to the Final Four. Uh, They had a really great run, really strong defensive team, but they were just overmatched in every single way against Baylor. This game, I mean – I hate to say it, but this game was never really in question even prior to the game, I thought. You know, I thought the five-point spread for favoring Baylor was criminally low. I thought it should have been closer to, like, at least nine and a half or so. Regardless, you know, it's a tale of the tape with Baylor all year. They just have so many different ways that they can beat you, either off the dribble from behind the three-point line, you know, making layups and one, whatever it is. Mitchell balled out, Butler balled out, Teague. Uh, Meyer you know the list goes on and on the Baylor Bears they're just really good and they proved it against Houston but then on the flip side perhaps the best game of the tournament we had Gonzaga yeah. obviously playing UCLA you know again UCLA everybody including us you know we could we won't play the sound bites from last week but we were counting them out to lose <laughs> by like 30 or something that was not the case they took it to overtime I mean their third overtime game of the tournament for UCLA and they ended up losing 93 to 92 Gonzaga but still what a game for the Bruins Johnny Juzang he I think has proved to everybody that he deserves to be a first round pick in the NBA draft he had 29 points on 12 of 18 shooting from the floor 12 of 18 like you cannot make that up and uh, it was just an incredible, really strong performance for UCLA, not only to stay in the game, but to put Gonzaga on the brink of elimination at points, you know? I mean, it seemed like UCLA really was going to win this game uh, at a couple different instances down the stretch and even in uh, in overtime, you know? Oh, definitely. I think it's in the
1: first half, you know, the once we kind of, you know, hit double zeros and went to halftime with Gonzaga only holding a one-point lead, uh, people by then, you know, were really – really very much kind of going back on the words and us included, you know, I think when <laughs> you just kind of see, uh, you know, throughout the history of the NCAA tournament, the, the classic, like one seed, you know, fit, highly favored versus like the whatever, higher double, potentially double-digit seed in March Madness, you know, extremely rarely does, does the double seed, double-digit seed double seed even hold their own against a juggernaut on the level of Gonzaga. Yet yeah. UCLA was in this game the entire way. I mean, you mentioned Johnny Juzang. Tarzana, California native just a few miles down the road. For me, they, you know, just what more can you say about UCLA's resilience and tenacity throughout the entire tournament? Ever since they were down by 10 at halftime to Michigan State in the first four game before they were even granted admission into the tournament, you yeah. know, they've just had such a such a chip on their shoulder mentality and have just been able to rally around each other especially on the offensive end and I mean they played very well in every single game in the tournament and the only really oh, yeah. other team you could say that for is Baylor, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean credit to head coach Mick Cronin, you know he had those guys in the perfect mindset and one other player for UCLA that I really want to draw attention to, even though they obviously lost, it's still noteworthy just because of how well they fared against the at the time undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs. That player is Cody Riley. he had 14 points, 10 rebounds, five assists you know, he's not going to be even the third or probably fourth scoring option on this team generally, but stepped up in a huge way. He was knocked down from mid-range, you know, some of those jump shots, like he's pulling up off the dribble and stuff, looking like a guard knocking these shots down right in Timmy's face. He, I think has been the biggest unsung hero for the Bruins this entire tournament. He's had timely blocks all tournament. He's gotten big rebounds when they need them to. And I think he's really that glue guy that allowed UCLA to go as far as they did and make it all the way to the final four.
1: Well, yeah, I think, you know, you make a great point. Role players like Cody Riley, uh, Hawkes, uh, Tiger Campbell played very well for the Bruins down the stretch, how they were able to really step up in the face of the most intimidating possible opposition and everyone writing them off. I think, you know, they really put the world on notice and, and showed yeah. not only that the PAC 12 has, the caliber of talent to go toe to toe with potential NBA lottery guys like against Gonzaga, but the UCLA program specifically itself, I think this tournament has just done wonders in terms of uh, kind of a new wave of exposure and notoriety and optimism yeah. in UCLA basketball. Just speaking from, you know, personal experience growing up in Bruin country, people were always just so cynical, you know, even when UCLA would make <laughs> the tournament, it's like, okay, well, like they're there, which is great, you know, good showing for the Pac-12, but like no realistic aspirations to go as far and do the kind of damage that they did in the 2021 tournament. And even before we move to the national championship, just one kind of final interesting note here on the Bruins Uh, coming off the heels of this tournament. I think, you know, like I mentioned people really gaining access and viewing how genuinely talented Mick Cronin's squad is and how well he's developed them. Mm -hmm. Andy Katz has the Bruins As his number one team power ranked for the 2021 2022 season. Wow. What do you have to say about that? It's pretty interesting, I thought.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know about that necessarily. Of course, we have to see how the recruiting shakes out over the next few months, but I like it, honestly. You know, I mean, I think the Pac 12 in general, not even just UCLA, but that entire conference proved a lot of people wrong this year and proved that they deserve to, you know, sort of warrant a little bit more exposure and a little bit more airtime than they did and you know this is just an example of how that's going to take form next season i mean ucla i think will be a very good team they're going to be returning a lot of guys that are important of course they could also lose a lot of guys but like you said also a a trip to the final four like this where they're really turning heads does help so much with exposure it'll get some more recruits at least getting a school like UCLA on their radar. So I mean, look, that's exciting. And if you're Mick Cronin, you love to see that just because finally you're getting some of the respect that you feel you deserve, even though you weren't even given it this year as only being a first four team. I think a big reason that Katz is putting UCLA this high, you know, not not just because of,
1: you know, what they reflected and, and illustrated about the true talent and, and competitive uh, hunger of this team is they've got a guy in Chris Smith, right? I feel like not a lot of people might know this, but had Chris Smith been healthy the entire season, we might be talking about UCLA as as uh, a national championship champion right now. Like oh, he yeah, he no was doubt. a projected lottery pick going into the season. He goes down in December. I believe he is coming back next season in addition to guys like Bernard, Campbell, Hawkes. So look for mm-hmm. UCLA to uh, continue you know doing damage in the tournament in the future. And as long as Mick Cronin is there, man, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with come March.
0: Yeah, definitely. I like that Chris Smith shout too, because I think I agree with you hundred percent. I think if he were able to stay healthy and play for the, you know, the stretch run that they obviously had this season, they probably could have ended up with as, as high as like a five or six seed, you know, similar to that USC type territory, but still, you know, credit to the Bruins. They were able to make it this far. Obviously they couldn't get it done against Gonzaga. But you know who could get it done against Gonzaga? <laughs> Let's turn now to the national championship. The Baylor Bears win by 16, a game that was never even really close, honestly. Yeah, From sure. the start, Baylor came out firing on all cylinders. Everybody was hitting shots. Of course, Teague and Butler led the way scoring-wise for Baylor. But still, this game, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like but Gonzaga just got exposed, honestly. They – they ran into a brick wall of athletes who quite frankly just seemed like they wanted it more, you know? Oh, without a doubt. You know, like you say, this game was very
1: much over from the jump talking mm-hmm. about a team that goes what 31 and zero, they haven't lost all season long. They've been yep. battle tested. They've, you know, faced great teams beginning of the season. They've had a great run through the tournament and then they get one point in the first four minutes of the game. Yeah. That's just mind boggling. And, if you think about it, just the poise that these Baylor Bears had, every single one of them. And and from, like I said, the jump of this game, just uh, how composed and, and well, well executed, you know, uh, Scott Drew's game plan was uh, Butler and Mitchell, you know, getting open looks for guys like Mayer and uh, Teague and vital there. It was just a flawless performance by the Baylor Bears. And to be quite honest, it seemed pretty effortless while you know, yeah. Gonzaga was getting the rock and staring at the basketball as they tried to dribble it and you know, prevent yeah. it from being turnover at midcourt. Baylor was flying with the rock and draining threes. It was it was such a well executed game plan by the Bears. And it goes to show that they really were the best team in the nation, the most battle tested, most seasoned, and importantly, most confident in this stage of the tournament.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I think another interesting note uh, that I was sort of talking to my dad about when we were watching the game is when you look at a team like Baylor, basically every one of their like big time, like guys that play like legit minutes, even off the bench, other than Chachua and Flagler, everybody else is at least a junior, like all their starters are either juniors or seniors. Meyer's a junior. Flagler and Chacho are both sophomores, I believe, although Flagler might be redshirt because he transferred from Presbyterian. Regardless, you know, that experience comes in handy. And not to say that Gonzaga's inexperienced, but still Suggs, he's a freshman. You know, Ayayi, he's, he's a junior. Uh, Timmy is a sophomore. Like, there's a little bit more of a mix. And not to say that, that was a deciding factor of the game, because of course it wasn't. But when you have a program like Baylor does where all these guys have been there for so long, you know, learning that system under Scott Drew, creating that, you know, sort of sense of of team and pride in their, in their style of play that Baylor did, that's a recipe for success. And they just proved it right there. You know, I like that you said it seems so effortless for them because it really did. I mean, every shot they were throwing up from even from behind the three point line, it seemed like it was just bound to go in. They couldn't miss. And the one final note that I have, I mean, everybody's been talking about it, of course, on social media, SportsCenter, wherever. But it it warrants attention is Mark Vital. You know, he only had six points, but he's not their their big scorer. He's the guy that does all the dirty work. He had eight offensive rebounds, eight offensive rebounds. Like he's only six five. I mean, is that a joke? (laughs) Eight offensive rebounds. He had 11 total. He had some big assists, a big block, a couple steals. You know, he didn't turn the ball over. It's guys like that that really win teams' national championships. And, I mean, Scott Drew and the Baylor Bears just proved it in this game completely. Oh, without a doubt. I, I don't think you can understate the
1: importance of Baylor crashing the glass in this mm-hmm. game, and especially in the first half. Like, Gonzaga was getting no rebounds at all. Yeah, Baylor was getting – seemed like at least one offensive rebound, even on the shots they missed. And I think that's really what enabled them to uh, kind of put this game away earlier because like Mm -hmm. even, because I think with the with championship basketball teams, we seem to believe at times like they're hitting most of their shots and that's how they kind of, you know, etch themselves into our memory. But the reality is Baylor, what they, you know, they're not shooting like 60 or 70% from the floor, but just the sheer impact of guys like Vital and... Mitchell, guys of all sizes, you know, getting rebounds. There was, I believe, uh, four or five different players on Baylor's team who had at least three rebounds in this game. Yeah. You know, guys often below 6'5". And uh, just kind of one final note on on just the impact that a guy like Vital and, and Butler have had, you know, as upperclassmen. If you look back to last year, right, we mm-hmm. played an entire regular season of NCAA basketball. Every team, we just – we didn't get a tournament. So – yeah butler and teague and vital i mean they were spearheading baylor's national championship campaign last year and they were the highest scorers, highest rebounders in almost every single game they played in the regular season last year they ended like 27 and 4 or something you know and a very mm-hmm. stellar record for for any college basketball team in the regular season so i i really don't think you can emphasize enough uh how big of a role that team familiarity played in winning this championship and mm-hmm. it's got to make you feel good ethan right like these guys who have just been balling for past 2 3 years together you know they were like we were as college students fucked over last year yeah. by uh you know the circumstances with covid and they were patient and they came together at the right time and clearly they considered themselves national champions before this game and were just so much more confident in their abilities than the gonzaga bulldogs
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. One final note I want to bring up uh, on Baylor before we move on to the Masters is they have two of the best on-ball defenders I think I've seen maybe ever in college basketball. Of course, you know, Davion Mitchell, he was the Big 12 defensive player of the year, and for good reason. Like, nobody can get by him. But Jared Butler, too, came up with so many big steals, so many big pokes of the ball where he'd either, like, kick it out of bounds or just, you know – completely stopped Gonzaga's momentum. And I think that was really what, you know, took all of the momentum away from Gonzaga in general, because they had 14 turnovers in this game. They had like 10 in the first half or nine or something. They averaged 11 in the entire tournament. You know, that, that is not a really good recipe for success in general, especially against a really solid offensive team like Baylor. And you just got to give credit to these guys. You know, their defense and like you said, the, the way that uh, this team is sort of all bought in and on the same page and that familiarity, it was just a perfect storm. And, you know, Gonzaga, I don't think they really could have done anything to win this game with the way Baylor played. But enough of that. You know, the national championship is over. We have plenty of time to talk about the ifs for next year's college basketball season. Right now, though, let's move into the Masters preview. I yes, mean, you know, just get us started. You know, lay, lay the land for us. <laughs> what we got going on down in Augusta this weekend? Masters is
1: back, baby, in its natural state. Uh, doesn't feel like very long ago we had this tournament because it wasn't very long ago. It was less than six months ago. We had uh, the 2020 Masters Tournament, which was held in November, obviously postponed because of the pandemic. Dustin Johnson set the record for scoring, taking the green jacket. And that was a long overdue Masters victory for him, long overdue second major. And now that we're uh, kind of back to business here, the classic Masters setup, the course is going to be playing a lot quicker. With more kind of spring weather and and the air drying out a little bit, balls aren't going to be sticking as much on the green. So it's going to be really important for guys to have a strong approach game, keep the ball out of trouble, out of the pine straw, because with the composition of the grass, the way it is in April, you know, there's not going to be a minus 20 score again. I'll tell you that much. Ethan, it's going to be very tough out there for golfers. And I'm really looking forward to it, man, because, on courses like Augusta and in events like the Masters, especially with, like you say, this loaded field that we have, you know, the the cream of the crop really rises to the top. And we every year we get a few uh, a few studs really kind of, you know, making their names heard and doing damage and shaking it up, perhaps unexpectedly. Uh, but Ethan, what is on your mind as we return to the April, the classic April Masters schedule?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, if you look at just the betting odds, you know, uh, the favorites to win, most of the guys up on that list are not that surprising. You know, of course, DJ's got to be there. He won last year. He's the current favorite to win. Justin Thomas, he's up there. John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau. But the one name that I think people might be surprised to see, Jordan Spieth. You know, he has out of basically nowhere turned his entire game around and he really is starting to look a little bit more and more like the Spieth of old with each week that passes, you know, he's continued to impress and turn heads all season he won the Te- uh, Valero Texas open this past weekend, It that broke his four year winless streak I mean. That's a guy who has already had success at Augusta. Of course, he's also had plenty of, you know, rough patches that that absolute collapse he had where he just kept hitting balls into the water wasn't <laughs> great. But still, you know, he's going to be a guy who I think a lot of people will have their eyes on to really try to, you know, regain that spot as one of golf's best players. And I'm excited to see it because honestly, golf could use a guy like Jordan Spieth to come back. Everybody loves a great comeback story. And he's definitely going to be one of the guys that I, you know, want to watch to see if he can live up to all this. Hype that's sort of been building over the last few months, you know. Oh yeah, I' really glad you mentioned
1: Jordan here because he's been the craze of PGA this year because of how well he's played in most of the tournaments that he's competed in in 2021. Yeah. He, was, he was due for a win. You know, knew he was going to get a win at some point in 21 in 2021. Yeah it's quite convenient for him that his game is in tip-top shape. You know, he's coming off of Valero, Texas (laughs) open win going into the masters where he has a real history of success, not just like doing well and, and, and cracking like the leaderboard. He like, he has a history of not only winning the green jacket in 2015, but flirting with winning the green jacket 2014, 2016, and has had some good years. And, you know, just kind of talking about some of these other favorites before we kind of get into some other storylines. You know, of course we talk about DJ. He, just kind of ran everyone off the course with his sensational play back in November 2020. Tiger. 60 greens in regulation, which is tied for the most of any Masters winner in the past 35 years. Won by five strokes, which is the widest margin of victory since Tiger in 1997. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, bet with caution on DJ here because obviously, you know, it's like it's a bad idea to fade him and, and say he's going to like play poorly. But just with how he was playing going into that tournament, just how dominant he was, and that kind of uh, spectacle that he put on, that's going to be really hard to follow up. So, yeah, you know, proceed with caution, betting on Johnson. But I think Thomas, Speeth, and Deshambo, guys who have won in the past month, right? Speeth winning the Texas Open last week, Thomas coming off a giant win at the Players' Championship at TPC right. Sawgrass, where put on an absolute ball striking clinic. So many birdies and eagles, he delivered. And Deshambo also won the Elmer Palmer Invitational a couple weeks ago, if you guys remember we are previewing that. So, you know, very uh very deserving of these long odds, these top 5 guys between Johnson, Thomas, Speeth, the Shambo and Rom, but uh I I really like the chances here for Thomas Speeth uh to to deliver more so than the other guys in this category.
0: Yeah, I like the JT call. I mean, I think that the odds are so warranted for him. He's looked so good. He's looked I think honestly, maybe the best he's ever looked in his entire career. And that's saying something, you know, but, he, this the players uh he looked out of his mind good even the past couple weeks prior to that and then the past couple weeks you know that leading up to this master's tournament i think he has really found his groove you know all that off the course stuff i think he's put behind him got himself back into you know the right sort of mental state to really be successful and you know capture that elusive green jacket for i think that would be his second major victory but turning now to some other storylines that might not be quite as present as, you know, the guys that are obviously going to be favored to win. One that I think is really interesting, actually, is Brooks Kepka. You have Brooks Kepka, you know, everybody's was like, oh, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Whatever, because he had that, that knee surgery and he's going to play, I mean, through some pain, but everyone's counting him out. You know, you look up any Masters predictions on whatever website and everyone's like, oh, he won't even finish top 10. We'd be surprised if he made the cut, blah, blah, blah. I feel like that's kind of bulletin board material, especially for a guy like Kepka, you know. I mean, of course, he is no stranger to, to, you know, success in majors. I mean, that's like his bread and butter. He has four major victories and ten top five finishes. So he's always going to be somebody that's, you know, people are going to have their eyes on. But also, even in recent years at the Masters, in 2019, he finished tied for seventh. 2018, he finished tied for second he has the ability and the mental game to be successful at even a tough course like Augusta. And I think that I would be surprised if he didn't have a decent, at least a decent showing because otherwise, why would he play? You know, if he really felt like he wasn't going to play well because of this, this knee injury recovery uh, then I think he just wouldn't play, but clearly he feels like he's in a good enough spot where he can be successful. And I think a lot of people are, wrongfully counting him out, you know, especially a guy like him where he's just so, so, so good in majors. I think he's going to finish a lot better than most people are anticipating. Well, Ethan, you're preaching to the choir here, brother, because I saw (laughs) Kepka
1: at plus 2000 and I wasted no time throwing money on that. For someone, I guess, because we both play golf and and we really, you know, we have, I, I mean, you've been playing a lot longer than me, but like, I've really gotten a grasp on just how incredibly difficult it is to follow up, you know, a good front nine with an equally good, if not better, back nine, follow up a good 18 holes, you know, the next day and and play even better. Yet Kepka, his resilient ability and how well he's shown he can rebound over the course of his career. Like, just looking at Koepka's uh, 2021 season, right? He missed yeah. three straight cuts in, like, lower billing pga events and then his next start in phoenix at the waste management open he finished first and made like two eagles on the back nine so (laughs) i think kepka you know you make a really great point where he thrives off of this bulletin board material right like he's got i'd say more so than anyone else on the pga tour a mama mentality where he can kick it into gear and absolutely dial in his competitiveness his approach game and his putting, I think, especially he's one of those guys yeah. who turns from a mediocre putter in a regular context to an absolutely lights out putter in times when the pressure gets highest and the doubt is most pervasive over him. Like you're kind of mentioning, he's coming off a surgery only a couple of weeks ago, but he said going into this week, I would not be here if I didn't believe I could win. So even if he's going to be uh, crouching on the greens a little more differently, he's going to be doing like a power ranger uh, leg out stance. I don't think you can count on Kepka here. And one thing you can bet on is he will contend this weekend.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Just turning now to another guy that I want to bring up my boy, Rory McIlroy, all the listeners at this point know how much I love Rory. He's another one who I think I'm specifically, of course, I'm, I'm going to have my eye on him, but so should a lot of other people just because if you look at his career resume, of course, you know, he's a he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's won everything he could possibly win except a green jacket. You know, he's won the FedEx Cup, he's won the play, uh, the Players, PGA Championship, US Open, British Open, blah 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 blah. He has never won at Augusta. However, in 6th of his last 7 tournaments, tournament appearances at the Masters, he is tied for 10th or better. it's not like he's had no success at Augusta. He just can't sort of get over that hump and finally be victorious. However, I think that should be a little added motivation for a guy like McElroy, who really hasn't played that well recently. I mean, he's been okay at times. Other times he's been really bad missing cuts, you know, just throwing up bad numbers here and there, whatever. But that can all change if he could just pull out a really impressive showing at the Masters this weekend. And I think, honestly – if there's one Masters where he could actually win, this might be the one, you know, while he's still young enough to make it realistic, especially with all these other up and coming guys. And then the long ball hitters like Kepka, DeShambo, DJ, whatever, Rory can still hang with these guys. And I'm going to be looking for him to at least finish top five here. I think he needs to just to sort of keep his confidence high heading into, you know, major season with the PGA championship, not that far off, but I'm really hoping he can pull one out here. I'll get to a a little bit more in the wager wire but I'm curious to hear what you think about Rory Theo just as somebody who uh, isn't like a an overt fan of him you know
1: well I I would I wouldn't say I'm a fan in the same way that you are but I I, I like him like I I Rory McIlroy is a guy I very much admire in in the golf game and of course he's demonstrated especially early in his career that you know he deserves to be discussed as one of the better uh, European golfers of all time I think You know, obviously his play speaks for itself, like all these wins that he's had, but Ethan, he hasn't actually won the hardware of a tournament since winter 2019, right? Like he's, you know, he's done a good job of making cuts, uh, being in the mix on Saturday and Sunday, but man, it really has been a long time, even in a non-major context Mm -hmm. that he's been on the back nine within two shots of the lead. Right. Something that has really plagued Rory, I think, especially in in majors, even if he plays well, you know, overall, and, and his overall score might put him in in the top 10, 20 or top 10, is he's terrible at first round golf. Like his scoring over the past few majors in the past like five or so years, more often than not, it's like 72 and above. Right. Yeah. And that's a little disappointing if you're someone who's going in heavy on often a favorite like Roy McIlroy is. He's almost always in the in the top 10, uh, you know, shortest odds to to win a major and, and win the tournaments that he competes in. So I'd love mm-hmm. to see Roy do well. I think it'd be great for the game of golf. I think in this sport, you talk about guys who have had one particular trophy has been super elusive for them. I think Mickelson and the U.S. Open are synonymous as uh you know blue balls and getting tees and i think rory is getting to that point man where yeah uh, rory just getting stifled in the masters he just can't complete that career grand slam just like nicholson can't complete his career grand slam with the u.s open so obviously you know i'd love for rory to take home the green jacket eventually i just personally don't think he's in enough of an elite form at the moment where he's going to be able to thwart some of the guys at the top of their game this weekend
0: yeah, that's fair. I mean, look, you know, the, the, his results speak for themselves over the past couple years. But I think, like I was saying, just I'm it's more so hope for me that maybe now is the time where he can just put all that behind him and finally show up. Uh, now, before we get into the wager wire and make our actual picks, there are some other names that we do need to bring up. Of course, you know, everybody that's going to be talking about the masters is going to be talking about the top guys, the top dogs, you know, Rory, Speeth, DJ, JT, et cetera, et cetera. Basically all the guys we just talked about. However, there are a lot of other young guys that are flying a bit more under the radar here just because of how many big names are up there in betting odds. And just in general to win this tournament, guys like Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland. You know, all these guys are super-duper young and super-duper talented. I'm really excited to see how these guys can fare because, like, we talk about Tony Fee now, it seems like, every week. I mean, oh. one of us brings him up most of the time, <laughs> you, in the wager wire. Like, talk about a guy who just deserves to win a major. Everybody loves Tony Fee now. You know, he's, he's such a consistent player. He, he always seems like he's right on the cusp but he's just not quite there yet. However, you know, they've all had all these guys, not even just female have had top five finishes in at the masters, you know, at Augusta recently. So I think if, if there are guys you want to put money on who might not be, you know, the top five in terms of betting odds, these guys are going to be right up there. And I think that they all should have extra motivation to have a really good showing, you know, up against this stacked field that we've been mentioning. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you bring uh, kind of this category of guys into discussion
1: here, Ethan, because most of the time, that's where the Masters champion comes from, right? It's not a guy who's completely out of the blue, and it's almost always not the guy who's the favorite. I I think uh, DJ winning uh, back in 2020 was the first time the outright favorite won in like seven or eight years. So uh, usually from this category, you know, players who have demonstrated uh, success and uh, against loaded fields like we're finding here in the Masters. I mean, obviously, Shoffley and Cantlay, they've notched a bunch of wins over the past couple of years, right? Shoffley hasn't won in a little while, Cantlay won back in the fall um, up the road from me at Lake Sherwood. So these are guys yes. who, you know, they they have a little more uh, fresh memory and, with the recency of their wins over the loaded fields. But a guy like Tony Fina, who's had 37 top Five finishes <laughs> since 2017, or excuse me, top ten finishes since 2017. Yet has not notched a win. You know, while he may be of the same skill, he doesn't hasn't accumulated the same kind of hardware. I think, regardless, uh, guys with this level of talent, you know, Mur- kawa I don't think can be uh, faded in any tournament where there's important iron play uh, coming in mm-hmm. as as a deciding factor. Uh, I think these are this is the category, guys. People should really be looking toward as like the biggest threats. And in the end, you know not as much of a surprise perhaps as their odds reflect.
0: Yeah, definitely. The yeah, the more cow Cal a call, I mean, his, his ball striking is like probably the, it's at least top three on tour, you know, when he's at his best, which seems like it's every week these days, you know, he, I mean, he's just so, so solid. And I think he's going to be somebody who is, going to have a legit chance to not only win, but maybe like run away with it. I'm not talking like a six stroke win, but like maybe like a two, three stroke victory, you know, where where he's got it pretty safely in, within his reach, you know, getting to the final couple holds. But the one other guy I really like, I'll get to him a little bit more on the wager wire, is Victor Hovland. I mean, four top fives in five tournaments this year. Hasn't missed a cut at any major that he's played in. Wow. You know, he is a really, really solid player, especially for how young he is. He was the low M uh, at the Masters two years ago, I believe. I mean, he he's clearly got what it takes to at least, you know, be – on the leaderboard you know maybe not necessarily top five but top 10 top 20 whatever it might be i'm expecting him to have a really good showing today but you know what enough of this teeing up the wager wire let's just get right into it theo give me your first bets for the masters or for whatever you want but i'm sure they're all going to be for the masters for both of us (laughs)
1: well just as a heads up everyone this wager wire has a hey strong masters theme so if you're looking for any baseball or nba or nhl you're going to want to uh look past but hey man i think the masters offers such a unique betting opportunity just because of how long the odds are yet how predictive of a sport golf is right you know we're dealing with one guy's athletic performance as opposed to an amalgamation of guys on a, on a team that goes through injuries right. and whatnot um so for my first wager ethan i'm going to take three outright bets for the masters a stud a dark horse and a sleeper and right. my first bet we talked about him a little bit um But my dog I'm riding with this weekend is Patrick Cantlay at plus 2,500. I actually locked this in when I was in Nevada last week, so I've got the classic physical ticket. And I'm loving Cantlay's chances to win the green jacket this weekend. Uh, Cantlay has been under the radar one of the best golfers in the world in the past year. He's shown composure and competitiveness that is absolutely essential to anyone who dons a green jacket and can mm-hmm. outlast the kind of field that the masters presents. He's just statistically he's second on PGA tour in scrambling, which is basically him being able to save decent scores. Pars are better on these par fours and par fives. If his tee shot goes errant, that's not as much of an issue for him as you yeah. might expect. Uh, he is a 69% rate of par or better for scrambling. He's seventh in shots gained around the green. So he really just has to keep it, uh, from the out of bounds, and he should be able to contend. Uh, he's got eight top twenty fives and eleven starts this season. That's phenomenal. So, considering how seasoned Cantlay has become over the past couple of years and proven that he can beat the best of the best in these loaded fields, he's had one win in each of the past, I believe, three or four seasons. Uh, I really like Cantlay's chances. You know, he finished uh, T nine in twenty nineteen, T 2020. So. Um, He's shown that he can, you know, score and get at these holes a little bit. Love Cantlay's chances to win. And then my two picks with lower odds a little bit. I know you're not going to like this. I don't personally like it, but I like it from (laughs) a financial standpoint is Patrick Reed, right? The 2018 uh, Masters champion at 30 to 1 odds. For a guy who's won this tournament and is seventh in the world in golf rankings right now and has already won something in 2021, this is a complete undersell. I think that's ridiculous value you're getting at uh, 3000 I mean, he's the best golfer on the putting green. He's first in PGA and shots game putting. Uh, he mastered the, the short stick, pun intended, at uh, Augusta University. So he's played Augusta a bunch of times, you know, not including, uh, obviously, the win in 2018 the former Masters champ finished tied 13th or better in all three majors last season. So even though he wasn't in the mix late on Sunday, he still had really strong performances against the loaded fields. And in these yeah. loaded fields, he tends to play better. The only missed cuts he has this season were at PJ events that uh, didn't have the, the big dogs playing. So Reed definitely brings out his best when uh, he's on tough courses against tough competition. I love his value at plus 3,000. Wrapping up here, my long shot bet I placed this in February, Ethan. I'm so stoked on uh, this particular player. He's one of my favorite golfers, Cameron Smith of Australia Ooh. at 5,500. Um, Cam Smith, right? Like, he's a 27 year old who's won a lot on uh, the PGA, on the PGA Tour, I believe, of like South Africa and Australasia. And he only has one PGA Tour win to his name last year, but he played a green jacket winning golf in November, even yeah. though he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't keep up with DJ, obviously. He was second, and you know, 15 under for a Masters tournament is still an excellent score, and that would win the Masters 16 out of the past 19 years. So, he played good enough golf back in November, carded every round under 70. And if he can maintain his really solid bunker and uh putter play that he's exhibited this season, you know, playing all these events, he's 16th in shots, game, putting, uh, fifth in save percentage, 11th in birdie average. Uh, I think Smith could deliver uh, on the overdue nature of a non-American champion at the Masters. So I know that was kind of a ramble, but my favorite <laughs> plays this week, Cantlay, Reed, and Smith.
0: All right. I like that. I like the Smith one, especially because I agree with you. You know, any pretty much any other year, he's winning if he plays the way that he played Uh, in November. So I love that. And with that value too, it's probably going to be somebody I'm going to take a look at with my money as well, but getting into my first wager wire selection, uh, we already mentioned him quite a bit earlier, I'm going with Victor Hovland for a top five finish that is plus 550. Of course, you know, like everything I said, he was the low am at the Masters in 2019, which that in and of itself just proves that he does have the ability, you know, to perform even when there is pressure, you know, just to be an amateur at the Masters. I mean, and to be the low am that is so impressive, I think. Also, you know, just his recent play. I mean, he's been so, so solid for how young he is this season. Like I said earlier, the four top five finishes he has in five tournaments. He's never missed a cut at the major. I think he's going to turn a lot of heads here and become a guy that's not just, you know, a household name for golf fans, but a household name in general. I really like him. I really think that you know he is one of one of if not the best really young players on tour. And I think that his value at uh, plus five fifty for a top five finish is pretty solid. So give me Hovland right there. Yeah, I love Vic, man. He is an awesome golfer, awesome personality. Yeah. Uh,
1: and I think he's going to end up with a major championship at some point in the next few years. Oh no pass. doubt.
0: It's just a matter of time when it happens, right? But- all right, I'm going for
1: my second wager. I'm also taking a uh, a certain finish line, a top 20 finish for Englishman Matt Wallace at plus 375. And like, if you don't know who he is, like, I do not blame you. Like, I've just been so into PGA the past year that uh, I've gotten to know some of these more uh, esoteric names, yet guys who are really talented, right? And I think Wallace is one of the most underrated golfers in the world right now who... You know, he has experience at the top of leaderboard of majors. He was in the mix on the back nine in the twenty nineteen PGA championship, ended up finishing third. That was a another Kepka major win. But just talking about recent form with Matt Wallace, last week at the Texas Open, he actually had the best four-round performance in a PGA event that didn't notch the win in the past two years. So kind of a similar case with Smith, where like in any <laughs> other any other situation, he would have would have ended up with a win. So Matt Wallace played winning golf last week. And if we're talking about Morikawa and Thomas as the best iron players in the world, right? I think those yeah. two are, are pretty comfortably in the in the S tier, the the elite premier uh, echelon. But Wallace isn't far behind in the top five. And like we're talking about, ball striking and approach game is just absolutely critical to low scoring at Augusta. Wallace is fourth on the tour this year in shots gain approach and 13th in shots gain tee to green. So he's done a really good job of kind of stringing along strong performances like Morikawa and Thomas have been with his irons. One last point on Matt Wallace uh, on the note of uh, his his British status. So Danny Willett was the last Englishman to win the Masters. He won in 2016. That was kind of an out-of-the-blue win. And yeah. both of them actually went to Jacksonville State in Alabama. Weird kind of a coincidence there. And England has had at least one golfer in the top 10 of the Masters final leaderboard every year for nine straight years and then none the past three years. So I just think um, through statistical regression, there's an Englishman who's bound to uh, excel this weekend. So why not the guy who's in the best form of everyone from England, Matt Wallace, give me Matt Wallace top 20 finish at
0: 375. All right. I'll stick with your Englishman uh, sort of wave and I'll go with Matthew Fitzpatrick for my second pick, a top 10 finish plus 350 uh and you know i know what you're thinking of course he's never won on the pga tour whatever doesn't matter okay and here's why he already has a top 10 finish at the masters to his name he was like you were just mentioning in 2016 he finished tied for seventh that i mean that's pretty solid right there granted it was you know five years ago but still that is a top 10 finish that's good for plus 350 right here second of all In recent tournaments, he has fared very well against good fields and on hard courses. He finished tied for ninth at the Players, tied for 10th at Bay Hill at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and then at the WGC Workday, tied for 11th. You know, he has been very quietly consistent, and I think – if he can sort of carry that into the masters like you were saying you know to their 10 this tends to be a tournament where guys sort of come out of nowhere guys that are a little more underrated or unknown will be up there on that leaderboard especially on Sunday. I think Fitzpatrick with his quietly consistent play as of late could be one of those guys and I really like the odds here at plus 350 to finish top 10. so you know we're riding the English wave. it's the British takeover <laughs> right now at Augusta. Give me Fitzpatrick top 10 finish this weekend. Yeah, we're
1: riding high on the Brits, Ethan. Abroad, yes, me. Um, my <laughs> final wager uh, for this week, um, of course, with a big golf event like this, there's just seemingly infinite amount of props you can take, and can't can't go through this segment taking golf bets without taking a couple matchups. Uh, these are two matchups that I'm looking at with a decisive edge in in one way or the other. I'm liking John Rahm minus one twenty over Bryson DeChambeau, who's plus one hundred. And then I'm liking Jordan Spieth, uh, minus 115 over Roy McElroy, who's uh, minus 105. So pretty uh, even odds with both of these matchups. But uh, mm-hmm. I like Rom in this spot against DeChambeau because while, you know, you can't argue that Shambo is one of the most naturally talented and uh, intelligent golfers there is, just the way he's strung together his wins and how re- he's revolutionizing the driving game. I'm expecting a little regression here because – for Deshambo to do well at Augusta, his putter has to be totally dialed in. He's something like 70th out of 76 uh, of, of the golfers who have played every master since Bryson's first start and on uh, shots gained on the green. So he's not putting very well at Augusta and you can almost directly attribute that to the absence of green reading books, right? Like Deshambo really relies on that kind of meticulous uh, planning of his golf shots to get low scores, and he doesn't have that ability here at uh, Augusta National, a more traditional golf club, whereas Rom, you know, he's been knocking on the door his whole career and this year. He's top 25 in every major he's played since the 2019 Open Championship, and at the Masters of the past three years, he's finished fourth, seventh, and ninth, so three straight top 25 finishes, you know, he's also been remarkably consistent just this season on the PGA Tour, hasn't had any wins yet, but he's still played super well. He's third on tour and shots gain off the tee 14th and shots gain approach and 11 events. He's finished top 10 in seven of them. And he's finished uh, in the top 20 in nine of the past 11 events. So love the way uh, Rahm is playing right now. He just had uh, a child. So possibly some new dad magic there for him. Yeah. The then- Amanda
0: Nunes effect.
1: <laughs> exactly. And uh, my last wager, of course I'm taking Jordan Spieth over Roy McIlroy. I know you're a Rory guy, but oh. uh, if if there was a similar kind of practice for the PGA as it is with like NBA, with, you know, like the all-star starters, you know, really reflecting who's doing well that season, Spieth would be the first one taken in, in the PGA uh, all-star team draft because yeah. he's been stellar in 2021. He has had five top tens in 2021 compared to Rory's only two top tens. And even in those, you know, Rory hasn't even been in the mix at the end of the day, whereas in most of those Spieth has really been in the mix uh, he owns the actually the highest average scoring of anyone at the Masters since his debut in 2014. His first five uh, appearances at the Masters, he went second, first, second, 11th, third. So he's done well at Augusta. At, and, you know, I, I do like McElroy, and McElroy has had similar strong performances at Augusta. I just really feel the 2015 vibes with Spieth right now, man. He's clearly unlocked uh, kind of – the dog, the, the tiger in him that was so, so present in 2015 and 20 through 2017 when he was racking up the wins. So I love speed to continue his strong play in 2021 and win this matchup over McElroy.
0: All right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's fair. You got to ride the hot hand and he is about as hot as it gets on the PGA tour. Uh All right. For my final wager wire selections, I'm going to go with two outright winner picks right here. The first one, you know, it wouldn't be a podcast episode if I didn't pick Rory to win. So I'm going to go with him plus 1700. I mean, I've already talked about it so much, but I just think the extra motivation for him to try and finally get the elusive green jacket is going to be there, you know, to get that career grand slam before he really starts to get to the point in his career, not where he's regressing, but where, you know, he is a bit older. I mean, he's not really that old yet, but as the years go on, you know that's another year playing, another year of wear and tear. Whereas these young guys are just continuing to come out of nowhere and get better and better. It's kind of a now or never situation for Rory, where if he doesn't win it this year or in the next couple years, it's just going to become that much more difficult. And I think he understands that and is going to be motivated to try to show up. And plus, I really, really like the uh, the odds there. So plus seventeen hundred for him. And then on the flip side, Justin Thomas plus a thousand. Of course, we talked about him already a lot. He's going to be one of the guys who's going to be favored to win for good reason. He's just looked so, so, so good as of late that I think it would be shocking, honestly, if he's not in contention at some point on Sunday, if not, you know, for the entirety of Sunday's round and maybe even win. I just love the way he's played so much. I mean, since 2016, he's improved his finishing finishing spot at the Masters by at least five places each year, culminating in a fourth place finish last year you know, a master's victory for him. I think it would just be a huge statement to the, to the golf world and to everybody that, okay, you know, I I've, I'm back. I've found my groove again. You know, I've put everything that's been going on and being said about me, I've put that all in the rearview mirror and I'm just ready to, you know, play my game. And I think he's already started to prove that with how he's played this year in general and a master's victory here would just be that much more, you know, sort of, certifying that he is one of the top players on tour as he should be considered. So give me JT plus a thousand and Rory plus 1700 to win a green jacket. Their first, it would be both of their first green jackets at Augusta.
1: Yeah. I love that JT call. I actually took him uh, outright uh, last November, ended up finishing fourth. So close with no cigar, but Hey man, with the way Thomas strikes, Strikes a ball with his irons. I mean, I would be shocked if he finished outside the top five.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he like he's just looked so good. I mean, it's like been him and Spieth. Uh, Speeth obviously has pl- had much more of a meteoric rise back to where he once was this season. But JT has been like quietly doing the same thing, you know, because people were starting to say, okay, what's going on with him? Even just like his game in general was deteriorating and now it seems like both those guys are back which you know talking about like you were saying earlier 2016 2017 those times those were two of the emerging names in golf and it's just nice to see that they're finally starting to find their games again and really be in contention not just for regular tournaments but majors as well oh yeah well I'm one
1: final point here is uh, justin thomas and jordan speed not only are they best friends but they have a direct communication channel with tiger woods and yep. even just having You know that magic dust. Even if he's just, you know, sending words of encouragement over text, just having the 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 tiger vibes, really almost exclusively between JT and Spieth. You know, sometimes sometimes it's that magic dust that uh, puts guys over the top and and allows them to play their best kind of golf.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right. That's going to do it for the wager wire and for our master's breakdown though. Don't come for us if those picks are wrong, which they'll (laughs) inevitably be just because that's the nature of betting, but let's keep it rolling right now into another segment, pure cap versus no cap. And Theo, I'm going to give you an NBA one here, just because, you know, we've been focusing a lot on college basketball on opening day for the MLB on golf on whatever, but we haven't really talked about the NBA or the NHL, which we'll get to a little later in a while. So I'm going to lay this down for you and let me know what you think this year this season meaning this season in the playoffs will be the first year since 2011 that a team wins the finals without having lebron kevin durant steph curry or Kawhi leonard on the team pure cap versus no
1: cap go hmm okay when i first saw this pure cap no cap i was like oh no cap you know like this like it's wide open this year but um you know, as much as I want to say about the Nets, like, oh, like, despite all this talent, you know, they haven't played with each other, and they haven't been on the floor long enough that it will, they'll be able to contend for a title, I I still think it's the Nets to lose. And I'm going to say this is pure cap that <laughs> LeBron, KD, Steph Curry, or Kawhi, what, that the trend will continue. You know, the champion will have one of those guys on the team, uh, specifically with Katie and the Brooklyn Nets, I just think the way they've yeah. stacked the deck and... Albeit, you know, they've suffered injuries throughout the course of the season where, you know, their big three, they haven't all been at the, on the floor at the same time, you know, very much was a knock people had on the Clippers last year and it ended up, uh, ringing true when, with their second round exit. But I just think the way that Brooklyn has devised their team this year, uh, and, and the absence of an equal team talent wise, I mean, I, I just can't see the Nets not winning it is, especially when you take into consideration that, uh, you know, the, the competition isn't as strong as it used to be. I think I would be, uh, you know, a little more on the pure cap side. If I saw, if I saw some more kind of championship acumen from, uh, the Utah jazz or the, or the Milwaukee bucks or, or the Phoenix suns, but I've yet to see that. And I'm not just going to sit here and, and go off the jazz, like having a number one, you know, kind of Western conference season, and then just accept that they're ready to thwart these big dogs. I think that, you know, the talent that the Lakers, the Nets, and the Clippers have, I still am confident that one of them will be the uh, Larry O'Brien winners in 2021. So while I my opinion could change at the moment, uh, I think it's pure cap. I think um, one of these teams with LeBron, Katie, or Kawhi is going to take on the title.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm when I was thinking about what I was going to respond to this with, First of all, it is wild that it's been 10 years since a team has won without one of these <laughs> four guys. I mean, that's just like stupid. And I mean, I'm not going to go on a rant about why I think the NBA is dumb, but that's one of the reasons. However, it also just does, just exemplifies how great these guys truly are at not only, you know, putting up numbers and, and filling the stat sheets for themselves, but leading teams to, to the finals and winning championships. And like you were saying, you know, I, I've been looking through the standings just to try to find a team that I think poses a legitimate, legitimate threat. And, look, like, uh, like I think the the Milwaukee Bucks are pretty good. You know, Giannis is dangerous, but he just hasn't had the playoff success that I think the fans there have hoped for. Uh, you look at the Sixers, it's sort of the same deal. You know, they've never really been able to make that deep of a run where it's like, oh, I could be convinced that they have a legit chance to win a, a title then on the flip side in the Western Conference, like you were saying, the Jazz, the Suns, the same thing. Like, I just don't know. Like, if, if it's a seven-game series against LeBron or against Hawaii with the Clippers, like, you really think that one of those teams is going to beat them? No. <laughs> you go to the Eastern Conference, if it's the Nets, I mean, just the Nets in general, even without KD, I don't think they're winning. You know, Kyrie has been ridiculous. Now KD coming back like nobody's beating them. And then, I mean, uh, the Warriors are a little bit of a different story, you know, I mean, they're not even in the playoffs right now, but still Steph has played out of his mind. But yeah, you know, I'm going to have to say pure cap too. I just, stacking those four teams and even just the three, I mean, you can kind of take the Warriors out of it, stacking those three teams up against their biggest opposition to win a finals. And it's really just each other, you know? I mean, I think that these three teams are just head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of. You know, playoff pedigree, playoff success, the rosters they've built up where you're combining young guys and veteran talent. I think they all just have too much for anybody else to handle other than one of those other three teams, you know? And for that reason, I have to lean pure cap. Of course, like you said, my opinion could be swayed as we get down the stretch. But for right now, I just don't think the NBA regular season is that indicative of everything. And yeah, you know, the Jazz have only lost 12 games. The Suns have only lost 14 games, 76ers, and, uh, and the Bucks 16 and 18, respectively. That's great. But when it's all said and done, the only thing that matters is, will you win a seven-game series? And I don't think anybody beats one of these teams, so I'm going to say pure cap, too. As much as I hate to say it, because I'd love yeah. some parity. Of course, everybody would, but they're just too good. I mean, they're, they're Hall of Famers and GOAT-level players for a reason, you know? Yeah, it's
1: – when – all these teams are stacking the deck. I mean, we saw the fucking Nets adding Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, who even though they're not the all-stars that they used to be, they're still good enough that when they're healthy on the floor, they can facilitate a uh, strong offense and defense. Right. So, and then when, you know, LeBron and AD both come back, Lakers will be uh, back in tip top form. You know, they got Drummond at the deadline. So uh, yeah, I think uh, we're in agreement here that it's going to be tough for anyone to really thwart the Lakers nets or Clippers this year. But Ethan, Uh, Let's move on to our next segment, bringing it back after uh, somewhat of a long hiatus. I guess we haven't done this in a minute. Uh, Ice of the week where we roast and flame uh, one team person thing league in sports that fucked up in some way. And Ethan, this is a monumental fuck up. Why why don't you uh, educate the listeners?
0: Yeah, so we'll be taking a nice little trip to British Columbia here. The Vancouver Canucks, I mean, already, just like before what I'm about to say, they've had their fair share, if not the worst share of COVID issues, whether it's contact tracing, whatever it might be, just guys either on the team or in the organization on the COVID list all year. I mean, they've played far fewer games up until this point than a lot of other teams have in the NHL. And that's all come to a head now with reports – uh, coming out of vancouver that the canucks have 21 players 21 players oh. who have tested positive as well as four coaches and staff members that's not just close context that's all positive yep. tests yep. like i'm not even sure how this could happen especially in at this point in the pandemic where everybody understands the risks and understands how to sort of you know like work around them and make things work without just everybody, you know, willy dilly testing positive, but somehow COVID is running rampant in this dressing room. And I mean, quite frankly, this is putting their entire season in jeopardy. Like I I don't know how they're going to be able to finish this season like in time. I mean, it's a 56 game season. They've played 37 games. They have more than half of their roster is now has COVID not even just close contacts they still have 20 games left to play like how is this going to happen I really don't know honestly and I think it is about as ice worthy as anything we've ever had in this segment because no other team has had the problems that the Canucks have had and you know you you combine that with the fact that they've already underachieved so much more than people expected this season you know they made some big off-season moves to get Braden Holpe you have all these young guys like Horvat, Hughes, Besser, Pettersson, that you really would have expected to, you know, have big outings. And then you combine that with also some of the solid veteran play they get from guys like JT Miller, et cetera. I mean, this is a rough, rough thing to see out of a team that a lot of people had high hopes for. And they, this is, like I said, about as ice worthy as you can possibly get from any team or player or whatever we've seen all year, in my opinion. Oh, it's, it's a bad one. And,
1: Sorry to be cringe, but just pointing out the irony that they re-signed goaltender Thatcher Demko to an extension, like last week or the week before, and the worst uh, breaching of the the defenses, worse than an actual uh, poor performance on the ice that this occurs right when they when they lock up the guy who's supposed to be, um, you know, like the the knight defending the castle on the ice, yeah. and then the horrible irony that the entire team you know the 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 castle becomes overtaken by uh the the horrible coronavirus i mean 25 members of the organization have tested positive mm. not not out contact tracing not you know like waiting on like 25 have the virus and i remember hearing earlier in the week a couple of these players were were not feeling very well and and were kind of struggling so obviously yeah. you know, keeping those people who who are are suffering in a, in a very you know damaging way from the disease, keeping those people in our thoughts. But you know they trace back uh, the the outbreak to uh, a couple players, you know, a, attending a public event, maskless, and you know, in an irresponsible uh, decision and move, and and bringing COVID into the locker room. And now it's a it's a full full blown disaster, not only for right. the Vancouver Canucks but for the rest of the NHL.
0: Yeah. I mean, like that now it affects every team that they would have played, you know, in the North or that they had already played, you know, in recent weeks, of course, they've had so many games canceled or postponed as it is. But yeah, like you were saying, it's honestly just, it's the irresponsible nature of this is astounding. And like, I don't understand how at this point we, you know, we're 13 months removed from the start of this pandemic and still teams and, and players, whoever, just people in general don't, understand or don't care to understand the risk involved with not just following the guidelines so ice to the canucks ridiculous ridiculous thing to come out of vancouver hopefully they can get it figured out and everybody's okay too because i mean you look at some other players from the nhl and just in other leagues in general i mean freddie freeman talked about the toll that covid took on him as an athlete mika's right. advantage had had covid over the summer and it's t- took him a really long time into this season to actually get going. You know, he said he just didn't have the, the sort of stamina and endurance built up after he had the virus. It took him a while to get back to, you know, playing at a top level. So you got to think that the irresponsible nature of what some of these players and the exposure has done, like that could have lasting impacts on these players, just not even for the next couple of weeks, but the rest of the season and, and, Hopefully not, but maybe even beyond. So, ice to the Canucks. That is brutal. But now, let's turn to something a little bit better, a little bit more lighthearted. Our final segment, our namesake segment, the time machine. Theo, why don't you give it to us? What do we have in store for today?
1: So, we we had a couple options that we can you know turn the clock back and uh, and kind of emphasize for you guys, but uh, we decided to go with April eighth, two thousand twelve. So nine years removed. Uh, Just, you know, we're really amped for the Masters over here. I mean, (laughs) I know I'm absolutely super fucking stoked. So April 8, 2012 uh, was the day that Bubba Watson won the Masters and defeated Louis Oosthuizen in a playoff. Uh, For me, you know, I felt strongly about including uh, this Time Machine Rewind because this day, this final round of the Masters is what made me like golf. I was – such a baseball and football guy you know just growing up i played baseball for like 10 years and you know just loving like football basketball i i had very little exposure to you know sports outside the the big four american ones and watching the masters just just basking in, in the beauty and glory of augusta national i think you know is was when i really started to understand as well just the the strategy and and the scoring of golf uh and and watching like you know, Louis Oosthuizen make an albatross on the par five second hole at Augusta. Like, I don't think people understand, like, there's like one albatross a year on the PGA yeah. tour to making a, a par five and two shots like that was sensational to see. And then, of course, in the playoff with Watson coming back down the stretch on the back nine, you know, and then tying it up on whatever hole 16 and, and he and Oosthuizen then going to the playoff. Uh, Watson's absolutely miracle escape shot from the pine straw an iron shot that curved something like 70 yards, uh, landed on the green, set up his par putt bubble Watson takes home the green jacket. Ethan, this was just a really fun masters that, uh, I think about and, and stimulates my imagination, uh, as I get hyped up for a potentially equally competitive and inspiring, uh, tournament as we head into uh, the 2021 edition.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think you summed it up perfectly. You know, you think about iconic shots and iconic moments at Augusta over the years. Of course, you know, Phil, Tiger, the the guys that you would expect to be up there are on that list. But that, the, that shot from the pine straw by Bubba Watson and then the, you know, tremendous ability to come back and win in a playoff. I mean, that is just awesome. And it's something that I think, has become synonymous with the masters where there's just always some sort of iconic moment that defines who wins or who loses. Of course, in November, it was a little bit different. The iconic moment was just DJ's absolute domination throughout the weekend, but regardless, it just makes me that much more excited for what we might have in store this weekend. You know I mean? Something crazy is going to happen. Everyone's so excited to finally get back out there, have a normal masters for the first time in April since 2019. I mean, it's going to be electric, and I think this is a perfect way to just sum up our excitement in the episode in general, you know, just how great this tournament is and how great it should be this coming weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've just been
1: in such a golf craze, just absolute PGA bender, Ethan, the past year, <laughs> and now that the Masters is back in April, the tradition like no other, man, I'm so fucking stoked to just watch hours and hours of golf, uh, we yes, hope sir. you guys are too. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. And of course, as MLB season continues on and NBA and NHL continues to ramp up the intensity and the pressure, we'll have all that for you guys and more.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, we have the masters this weekend, but it's not like it ends. We still have, of course, the MLB. We have playoff runs starting to shape up. Obviously we already mentioned uh, hockey and the NBA, and we also have some big fights, the NFL draft. We, everything is on tap. I mean, it's going to be an exciting next couple months, so stay tuned. Thank you everybody for listening. Don't tail our bets too hard because if they're <laughs> wrong, not our fault and we'll see you guys next week. See you guys next week.